0: Well, good morning. Great to be with you again. Uh, my name is Terry Young, and uh, we are part-time Creston residents. We live in Calgary, but we have a place here in Creston that we call home. For those of you who weren't here a couple weeks ago when I was here, uh, just to give you a bit of background, our uh, Maureen's son and daughter-in-law are here, our little granddaughter, Kezia, and uh, we have uh, bought a building here in Creston, so we are tax-paying members of the Creston community. We're doing our part to support the economy. And we're also doing our part to support people who need things in their in their their furniture and so forth. Uh, we have a little apartment right near Kingfisher Books, so that little barber shop that's there. The new that's our building, and uh, we had a beautiful little uh, magazine rack that we left out on the walkway, and the other night someone came and stole it. So if you see a little magazine rack somewhere, and uh, just call us, and we'll come and take it off the hands of the person who took it from us. So we're doing our part to support others. Maybe they need the furniture. So we're we're doing our part. Uh, a couple weeks ago when I talked to Tom about the Proverbs series, he said, are you available in August to come and preach? And gave me a few dates. And I said, by the way, we're going to be here August 2nd. And uh, I said, what are some of the topics that haven't been dealt with? And uh, he gave me a few topics. One of them was this matter of, of money. So uh, I volunteered to do the money-wise one. He did not ask me to do this. So I know people always get nervous when uh, preachers, pastors talk about money. Uh, my dad was a pastor for 50 years, and uh, he used to say that the most sensitive nerve on a man's body is, is right here. So that's where the wallet goes. And uh, I think when it comes to money, we always get a little nervous, uh, talking about money. And that's because money is such a central part of our lives. It's also one of the most sensitive areas of our lives. This week you have bought things with money. Uh, you have perhaps this week, uh, been distraught a little bit, maybe about money. Uh, maybe there's some of you, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, some of you have thought about money. Uh, but money is one of those most sensitive issues that we deal with in life. And often for people, there is a money mess that is tied to the money issue. So what we're going to look at this morning, let's put up the next screen, we're going to look at this matter of how to move from being messed in the area of money to blessed. And the book of Proverbs is very much about uh, the messes of life that are tied to foolishness and the blessings of life that are tied to wisdom. There are a lot of messes in our world and they are directly tied to foolishness, choices that are made. There's also blessing in life and that's tied to God's wisdom. That's what Proverbs is all about. And so Proverbs deals with this matter of here's one side of the story, here's another story. One is messy, the other is blessed. So we're going to look at the matter of This matter of moving from perhaps a condition of being messed to blessed. Let's put the next bullet up. How to make your way through the money mess. Because, as I'm going to point out in a few moments, we really do live in a time where our world broadly is very much messed up when it comes to money. We're going to do something interesting. We're going to look next bullet. We're going to look at this matter of positive deviance. Now, you probably didn't think you'd come to church this morning and have someone talk about deviance. But I want to talk about positive deviance and the power of vital habits that I believe Proverbs spells out for us. And we're going to begin by taking some lessons from the guinea worm. Now, you probably don't know much about the guinea worm, but a number of years ago, not too long ago, a man by the name of Donald Hopkins at the Carter Center in Atlanta and his team of researchers decided to take on the problem of the guinea worm. The guinea worm is one of the largest human parasites and has caused incalculable pain and misery for millions of people. It's in the Western Asia region, sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, when it, uh, uh, villagers, when they're drinking stagnant and unfiltered water, they take in the larvae of these worms, which then burrows into the abdominal tissue and slowly grows into what can be enormous worms. Some have grown to three feet in length. The mission of the worm is to excrete an acid-like substance that helps carve its way a path out of the host's body. Sort of a gruesome kind of problem. Once near the surface, the acid causes blisters. To ease the pain, here's what people in these villages, and it inflicted up to 120 million people in some 23,000 villages, sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. What it does is it makes its way Out to the, and causes these painful blisters, and it causes the pain victims to seek relief. What they do is they go to the water. They go to the rivers. And that gives them some relief. They plunge their worm-infected and on-fire limbs into a pool of cooling relief. But this is exactly what the worm wants. Because it now has an excess, an access to water in which to then lay, lo and behold, thousands of eggs thus continuing the horrific cycle. Donald Hopkins at the Carter Center and his team decided to take on this mess and eventually eliminate the guinea worm. That was their desire. That was their goal, to help 120 million people in the world, 23,000 villages. The task was unimaginable until the team asked a very simple question. The simple question was this. Why are there certain villages where the fire serpent, as it was known among the local people, or the guinea worm, why were there certain villages where the guinea worm was not present or was rare and perhaps absent? They began to look for something that they labeled positive deviance. Positive examples that, in a good way, were deviant, were different, were distinct from normal suffering in so many other similar villages. Then they asked this question What are some of the habits? that are present in these villages that are sort of outliers they're they're very odd they're distinct they're different they're deviant in a positive way here's what they discovered in villages where the guinea worm was rare or absent the women would go down to the river like all the other villagers from they go to the same kind of pools and water sources found in other villages but upon their return to the village these women would strain the water they carried on their heads through their skirts They also noticed two very important behaviors. In these villages, they had somehow uh, understood that anyone who has the guinea worm must speak up and let the village know. Secondly, infected people were to stay away from the water source of the village. That's all these villages did. Hopkins discovered that if this was done for about a year, the guinea worm problem was totally gone from the human population in those villages. Now, this is a story of a mess. And it's quite a unique story because it is a story that Hopkins and his team were able to eradicate a global disease without finding a cure. It was nothing more than the ability to influence human thought and action through the use of a few vital habits. The story has much to teach us, I believe, about what Proverbs instructs us in terms of attacking the money mess in our lives. We need to ask ourselves, how is it that in terms of the money mess of our world, there are certain people and places, certain villages, if you like, where there isn't a money mess? What are the vital habits? What are the things that are present in villages that have health and well-being financially and those that don't? And there are far more that don't than do. So when you go to the book of Proverbs, what the book of Proverbs is doing is it is seeking to help us understand, in a sense, positive deviance. It's called wisdom. And there are vital habits tied to that wisdom. Now, when it comes to the money mess that we're in, I just want to point out a few things that uh, we have all been drinking from the pools of a consumer-driven culture. It's like we go down to the waterholes of our culture, and we take in what our culture teaches us. And it's like ingesting a guinea worm. And this stuff gets into us. Let me let me ask you if you've if you've heard something like this recently. You can have it now and pay for it later. That's a guinea worm. Uh, why wait till spring? Uh, buy it now. Uh, everyone buys stuff they can't afford. Everyone. Consumer debt can be a helpful tool. It is a helpful tool to make bankers wealthy. Uh, make sure your teenager gets a credit card so they'll learn to be responsible with money. Here's another one. Playing the lottery will make you rich. Do You know that the average uh, period of time before p- lottery winners are bankrupt is about three years. And here's why. Uh, when you ask people what would you do if you instantly won millions of dollars, a lot of people say, well, I do this and that and this and that. Here's the answer to that question. You will do on a relative scale exactly what you're doing right now. You'll only do it at a bigger scale. And you'll usually spend more than you have and eventually – You'll have nothing. There are other messages that we've heard. Well, all of these things lead to a financial version of the guinea worm, and we keep drinking the water. We keep drinking the water of our culture. So here's some of the things that we know. In North America, we now pack, on average, and I use that term pack because it's like we have guns on the side of our, our with the holster to us. We now pack an average of four credit cards each, and uh, the safeties are off those guns, by the way, for most people. Uh, We make about a third of our purchases with credit cards, which helps explain why there's currently in Canada close to four to $500 billion of outstanding consumer debt. Uh, In Canada, the average North American household stares at a monthly balance of $9,000. 20% of Canadians say that they feel the amount of their debt is no longer manageable. One in 10 Canadians will say they would not be able to handle it financially if an expense of $500 suddenly came up. This is all indication of the mess that we're in. 88% of graduating college seniors have credit card debt before they even have a job. And 64% of married couples indicate that money is a major source of tension and stress in the marriage. We could go on and on, giving all kinds of facts and figures about the mess that we are in. But here's where the book of Proverbs comes in. Proverbs invites us to listen to wisdom. It is a book in the Old Testament that is seeking to point us to true north, true wisdom. And it, it uses this idea of positive deviance or wisdom. Where do you find people who aren't in a mess? What are the vital habits of people who aren't in a mess? And I'm just going to touch in on four vital habits that have come from the book of Proverbs. And uh, this is words that come to us from God. We sang a little earlier that the matter of truth is what makes us free. Jesus said that, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Free is not a word that a lot of people use when it comes to their financial tangle. And yet the Word of God wants us to be free. If there's anything that I would want for you, it would be that you are on a journey towards freedom. Freedom from the money mess. So here are the four vital habits. We're going to look at them one at a time. And uh, when you're in healthy villages, economic villages, you'll find these four healthy habits present. And they're not rocket science, or as Don Cherry says, they're not, it's not rocket surgery. Uh, this is not hard to understand, but here's what we discover. Number one, the book of Proverbs simply says, in our earning of money, we're to earn it honestly and we're to earn it diligently. So here are some of the passages that come to mind. Proverbs 10, verse 4, Lazy hands make a person poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. The book of Proverbs is not afraid to say to us, Wisdom means that you've been given two hands and two feet and a brain, and you've been given abilities, and if you've been given those, work hard. Work diligently. Do not allow laziness to step in, because laziness is a sure pathway to a money mess, in fact, to poverty. 1423, all hard work brings profit, but mere talk brings only poverty. There are people who talk all the time about what they're going to do. It's like the guy who, you know talked incessantly about what he was going to do, what he's going to do, what he's going to do. And, and uh, when, he, when he died, the insurance was denied because he died with nothing done. And uh, they said he never lived. And we're to, to be a part of a, a process in which we earn honestly and diligently the things of life. There's a couple other verses we're going to look at here. He who tills his land will have plenty of food. In uh, agrarian society, uh, very clearly, they just simply pointed out, wisdom would tell you, if a man has a patch of land, he tills that land, uh, he'll have plenty of food. But he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. And then chapter 28, a faithful person will be richly blessed, but an eager one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. What we find in Proverbs is this challenge that wisdom involves working diligently, not being afraid to work hard, working faithfully, and avoiding the ditches of dishonesty, avoiding the ditches, of get-rich-quick schemes, um, of avoiding the ditch of expecting others to do your work for you. Proverbs is just very practical. Just says, earn what you earn, and earn it honestly, earn it diligently. Uh, Don't have gain that is brought about through dishonest means because that will end up being destruction. So just earn it honestly. And realize the real peril of this idea of, I want to get rich right now. This obsession with wealth can be a real danger. Uh, John, Russell, or A fellow by the name of Peter Bernstein wrote a book a number of years ago called The Power of Gold. And it's subtitled The History of an Obsession. His whole entire book goes through the history of mankind in terms of our obsession with gold. The last statement in the book is simply this. In human history, those who have loved gold have been brought down by the obsession. It's a secular writer. He's not making any case biblically about any kind of moral principle. He just says the obsession we have with money and getting it quickly, getting it somehow in our hands as fast as we can brings us down by the obsession. So this is the first challenge. Uh, Earn it honestly, earn it diligently. The second vital habit is simply this. Give it generously. Now here's what the book of Proverbs says. Let's look at the first verse from Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. These particular verses are interesting because I've heard many, many people, young and old, who will say, if you ask them, what are your favorite verses in the Bible? They'll refer to the verses immediately prior to this verse. Honor the Lord with your wealth, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And I'm waiting for someone to, to give the whole passage. Because it's like, I want to trust the Lord with my whole heart. I want God to guide me, direct me. The next word that follows is, and honor the Lord with your wealth. Because it follows that if you're going to trust the Lord with your whole heart, then you're going to put into priority the matter of what you do with money, what you do with things. And the writer of wisdom says, honor the Lord. And honor the Lord first. And if you honor the Lord first, he will honor you. In the time of the writer of Proverbs, they very much had a sense that this matter of what their land would provide and what the land would do was tied directly to their obedience to God. They, they saw a correlation that when things are right in our relationship with God and we are honoring God with the first fruits, that's the first thing you take off the field, that God then honors that and he, in a sense, takes care of us. They saw a direct linkage between those, those two things. Life is not about what we achieve or accumulate. It is about what we do by way of contribution. Jesus would say this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. In essence, he would say the key to living is giving. Uh, We are made in the image of God. And if you stop and think, what 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 is God like? God is a giver. God is a creator. God's blessing is outgoing. And God does not instruct us and challenge us to be giving people because he needs money. He does that because he's trying to raise us as his kids. He's trying to get us to understand we are most in sync with the image of our creator when we are giving. And so Proverbs says, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord first. These other verses, a generous person will prosper. The one who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Uh, Any man or woman who gets into a giving mode in life, you talk to them and they'll tell you I'm I'm having the time of my life. I'm I'm refreshed in what I do because there's a flow. God is flowing through me. And I think sometimes what happens to us, to me, is I become a dead end receptacle of God's blessing. It's like I become a bucket and I sort of think the key is keep it all inside my bucket. When you do that, um, we we call that person, we call I'd call myself when I'm in that condition, I'm a miser. And notice the word miser is the first kind of part of the word miserable. When we're misers, our hearts close up. But God says when you give, there's a sense in which you're refreshed. And that's because you're in the flow of how God created you to live. It's in our nature to be givers. And when we follow that nature, there is something of the blessing of life. Then this, he is kind to the poor, lends to the Lord. I don't know if you ever thought about that. When you're kind to a poor person, God in heaven looks down and he says, you're not simply being kind to that man or woman or that that family or those kids. Uh, you're You're lending to me because I'm in the midst of those conditions. I'm in the midst of that poverty and you're lending to me. And I will reward you for what you've done. God notices every act of kindness. And so the wisdom of Proverbs is give it generously. And this principle of honoring the Lord first is uh, true not only of your finances, but understand this. Whenever you want God to bless you, wherever you want God to bless you, uh, put Him first. If you want God to bless you in your career, put God first in your career. If you want God to bless you in your family, put God first in your family. If you want God to bless you in your marriage, put God first in your marriage. In your friendships, your relationships, put God first. If you want God to bless your finances, put God first. We don't have time here to look at some of the other passages, but if you, I encourage you to read Malachi 3 sometime. It's the only place in the Bible where God, through the prophet Malachi, says, I want you to test me. We're not to test God. But there's one area where God says, you can test me in this. And it's the whole matter of first fruits. It's the whole matter of giving to God first. Out of the increase that you have day by day, week by week, month by month, give to God first. And it says this See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing you can't contain it. It then says, and I will also rebuke the devourer. It's very interesting. It, it, it's an it's a economic principle of God that God says, When you honor me first, I will I will I will, in a sense, take care of some of the things that are the devouring influence in your financial world. Test me. So this matter of earning it gener- or giving it generously is the second vital habit. So when you go to a village that's healthy economically, you're going to see people who earn it diligently, honestly. You're going to see people who give it generously. Thirdly, another principle in the Book of Proverbs is that the third vital habit is save it consistently. Save it consistently. Two verses we're going to look at: Chapter 13, verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. This whole matter of the power of saving, little by little. That's how money grows. Then this this verse. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. But a foolish man, a foolish woman, devours all that he has. This last verse simply says that full consumption, week by week, month by month, is a mess multiplier. If we are living to our means and beyond our means, we're creating a mess. But Proverbs here and other verses says that a dollar saved is not a single dollar, but a multiple dollar in the future. Uh, It is vital habit number three. Those who stay out of the mess, save, save, save. By the way, in our culture, we know that on the giving front nationally in Canada, United States, around the world, we're not doing very well on the giving front. We're not doing very well as well on the saving front. We're violating the very principle that God has given us, which is the way of wisdom, which is save a little every month. I remember a number of years ago, one of the first books I ever read on money matters was by Ron Blue, an old book. Uh, by now, it's called Master Your Money. He gives 12 principles in this book of uh, financial freedom, how to master your money. And uh, one of them sort of caught me. It's principle number five. And it's just a profound, profound wisdom He simply says this. Here's principle number five on how to manage your money in such a way that you gain freedom. Principle number five. This is so profound. Spend less than you earn and do it for a long time and you will be financially successful. That is so profound. I mean, it's just amazing. Where does that wisdom come from? But you know what? That's God's wisdom. And that's wisdom that our world is not practicing. Uh, The majority of people in Canada right now are spending more every month than they are earning. There is no saving. There's simply an overextension of their financial world, and that is a mess multiplier. So principle number six uh, in his particular thing is you must have a cash flow margin in order to achieve your long-term financial goals. To do this for the long term, this must have priority over the short term. It is simply called delayed delayed gratification. So the Word of God says save. Earn, give, save. Then this fourth uh, final, uh, vital habit is this. Spend it wisely. So I said at the start, this is not rocket science. Uh, This is very, very straightforward, simple financial wisdom. Spend it wisely. Here's a few verses. Chapter 21, verse 5, The plans of the diligent leads to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And then the verse we've given you for the week to take with you on your card, Proverbs 27. Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever. A crown is not secure for all generations. These are two simple verses that underscore for us the vital habit that as we take hold of money, we must then manage it wisely, spend it wisely, we must live by priorities, and some planning. Rather than how many of us find ourselves at times living, we live by prompts. you know. We live by pressures. So prompts and pressures are coming at us every day, and we live by those. The writer of wisdom says, learn to live with a planning mindset, and learn to live by prior- priorities. Actually sit down and be sure you know the condition of your flock's. I didn't place it in this particular sermon and message today, but there's a whole matter of sitting down and getting brutally honest about where you're at. How much do you earn? How much do you take in? How much do you own? Really sitting down and saying, what are my assets? What are the things that I do own? Thirdly, what do I owe? Getting brutally honest about that. Laying it all out. Uh, as Maureen and I talked about this, she made a comment, you know, uh, when we're deeply in debt, we don't open our mail. Isn't that true? Sometimes we just sort of let those envelopes just sit there. It doesn't change the reality, but we don't open the mail. You've got to open the mail. What do you owe? And then, uh, where does it go? I'd encourage you, if you're in a money mess, to go through a period of time where you keep track day by day of everything that you spend. Everything. And allow that reality to set, it, set in. And, and give yourself a picture of reality that this is where it's all going. Oh, that's where it's going because it's all nickel-dime for many of us. It trickles away in little things here and there. And before we know it, we've spent more than we take in. And we're in a money mess. So spend it wisely. Financial freedom is not tied to how much you earn. It is based on how you manage what you have. And this is why you'll see the strange picture of someone making 50000 a year who is free and light on their feet and in their heart And they're freer than the person making $500,000 a year. Why? It's all because there's management, there's planning, there's priority. There's a living within one's means. So spend it, spend it wisely. Now, as we think about this matter of uh, how our world operates, I want to just point out to you that there's a kind of order on the streets. I want to briefly touch in on this. The order on the streets is this. And we live by this every day. Live large. Live large because the world lives large. You know, keep up with the Joneses. So we spend money we don't have to impress people we don't even know. And we don't even like them. But we try to keep up with them. We live large. Secondly, save a little if you can. And then thirdly, give the leftover if there's anything left over. This is the equation on the streets in the world in which we live. But let's understand God's order of things. God's wisdom. He invites us to come to a healthy village and move into a healthy village God's order is simply this. God would say, number one, give. If you earn diligently and honestly, number one priority is give. Our world will never teach you that. But there are more and more financial managers, and I've read some books by some people who are millionaires, who are not scholars, they're not Bible people, they're not pastors. They are simply people who have understood something about an economy in the world And they are coming to this place of saying, you know what, the first thing you need to do is figure out the giving quotient of your life and give first. Let there be an outgo first. Be a channel first. Secondly, save. And then thirdly, live. This has been referred to as the 10-10-80 rule. And some financial people who have understood deeply God's economy have said this kind of equation is a very sound equation for how to live. Give 10%, save 10%, then look at the 80% that you have and live on that and live on it well. That create, There's discipline needed, there's decisions needed, there's priorities needed. But if we did this, we would understand something about the blessing of God through giving, the long-term blessing of a little by little by little, allowing us to have something not only for the future, but to have something for the emergencies of life. We have margin and as well to help others. So this matter of order on the street and the order of God's wisdom is what Proverbs is really all about. Proverbs is saying there's an order on the street. You can live by that, but you know what? You're going to be in a mess. There's God's wisdom that is different than the wisdom of this world. And it is a way to blessing. So let's close by simply asking ourselves this question. What do we do if we're in a money mess? What do we do if we find ourselves in this kind of place of tangle? Um... Let me take you to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Interesting passage, and uh, I'll set the context for you and sort of give you a sense. Here are these words from Proverbs 6. My child, if you've put up security for your neighbor, if you've struck hands and pledged for another, if you've been trapped by what you've said and done, then do this to free yourself. It is the picture of getting ourselves into a corner financially, economically. We've made commitments. We've made pledges. We've done things that have gotten us cornered. Face it humbly. So get clear about the reality of perhaps the mess that has been, that has come upon you and then allow no sleep to your eyes. No slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. It's, it's, it's not saying, you know, don't sleep again. It's saying get serious about this issue and work hard to make your way through the mess that you're in. With God's help, with God's strength, follow His principles. Just keep earning, but do it honestly and diligently. Figure out how you can begin to get into a giving mode and begin to simply give. Also, set aside a little and then really live by priorities. Live by decisions that allow you to make your way out of the situation. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter. If you ever want to go on YouTube and watch gazelles being chased by... by uh, You know, leopards and whatever. You can see all kinds of footage there. There are some good news stories, you know, where the gazelle gets away and that you sort of, yay, that's good. I like it when the gazelle gets away. There are some other ones where nature takes over and the gazelle doesn't make it. Those are the sad ones. Um, But the writer Proverbs says this is to be taken with such seriousness, you've got to, you've got to run. And run with everything you have. Out of the situation you're in. Now, you may wonder, you know, you know, can sermons or messages, you know, do much? I want to tell you that sermons that are based on God's word and talk about this issue can really can really mess with your story, but mess with your story in a very good way. Uh, Maureen is here, and, and I asked her if she would come up and tell her story, but she said, "No, she won't do that. She would say "Hi," but that's about the only word you'll get out of her up front here. So she's given me permission to tell her story. A number of years ago, Uh, she told me the story that uh, she found herself as a a mom raising two kids after about 30 years of carrying all kinds of financial debt that that thing had built to about $70,000. And she, she heard a sermon on this whole issue of when that mess is present, do everything you must to dedicate your heart and life to get on a path to deal with that debt. In about two and a half years, she was raising two small kids. She eliminated that $70,000 of debt in two and a half years. She told me most of the problems, she said, is in the messages. The messages that we believe, that we've really got to confront. Messages such as, I deserve this. Whoever told you you deserve that? Or this one. They have it, so I should. Well... No, they have it, let them have it. They probably have it on money that isn't theirs. Everyone is doing this. Well, by the way, not everyone is not doing it. We just think they are. Enjoy now, pay later. No, pay later. Or I better not get there because I'll mess that up. Uh, Just enjoy where you are now and don't pay later. All these messages were things she had to really confront. And she said, you know what? I discovered I needed to attack the hill. Which meant she had a calendar on her fridge or wall. And uh, when that, that thing was getting knocked down, she would record how much was getting knocked down. Day by day, week by week. And she attacked the hill. In a sense, she was running like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Because the people you're indebted to, they're like, they're like uh, leopards. They're like you know tigers. They're, they want to get you. And when you get out of their grip, they really are puzzled. They don't know what to do when someone comes in and says, I want to get out of your grip. But there is a way to make our way out of this when we're in a money mess. So here's a final thought. And this is a thought that is uh, throughout God's Word, and it simply deals with the matter of truth. Wherever there is truth plus practice, or the simple matter of obedience, there is a life that is blessed and not messed. You can read through the entire Word of God and you'll find this principle rings true. Truth is powerful at the point of action. My father always used to say that. He'd say a lot of times we have truth in our heads, we have truth in our minds, we have truth that we say, yeah, I agree with that, I think it's a good thing to give, I think it's a good thing to save, I think it's a good thing to spend wisely. But it's not until that truth gets into the fabric of who you are that that practice leads to the blessing that God has in store for us. We can know all the truth in the world if we don't practice it. We may still continue just to be in a mess. So I want to encourage us to be money-wise according to the wisdom of God's Word. Some of us here have been over the road many, many years, and uh, we could probably all tell our story of how we've made our way through all kinds of places, all kinds of situations and circumstances where we have seen firsthand the mess. And we've made our way out some of you here are sort of in the early part of your life, your, your journey of career and jobs. Can I encourage you to take seriously what God's Word says to you and, and get on the path of vital habits. Uh, earn diligently. Earn honestly. Give generously. Save consistently. And spend what then is left in your hands. Spend it wisely. And I would say I guarantee you, but I, I'm, God guarantees you that there is blessing in such a journey. Let me pray for us, and uh, then we'll be free to make our way into the rest of the day. So let's bow together and let me pray for us. And as I pray, I want to remind us that uh, when Jesus came to earth and when he ministered and taught, uh, there was so much that Jesus taught that had to do with stewardship and management of life, and one-third of his parables dealt with money. And it was because I think Jesus understood that this is such a vital, vital area of our lives and our journey, and he invited us to follow him and learn from him. He also said that when we know the truth, it is the truth that is practiced that makes us free. So I would encourage us to come to the Lord Jesus and ask him for the strength that we need. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and he desires to lead us into a path that is a, life, a path of life abundant and to rebuke the devourer, and to allow us to live freely. So Heavenly Father, today as we gather in this place, and we gather as your people, we've been reminded again from your word that there is wisdom for our lives. And Lord, we honestly confess to you that all of us need wisdom on the money front. We need wisdom on how to handle the stuff of life. We pray you'd remind us, as the Lord Jesus reminded through so many of his parables, that all that we have and all that we are ultimately comes from your good hand. Even our health, even our ability to do what we do with our hands and our minds and our bodies. Help us to realize that we have been created by you and you've allowed us to do what we do, to earn what we earn, to take in what we take in. We pray you'd remind us that we are to be channels through which you can work and flow. And you have principles of your economy that cannot be changed. We pray that we would cooperate with them. Whether we're very young at the start of our careers and our earthly journeys or whether we're into our senior years, Father, we pray that we would still take your word, put it into practice, and in it be blessed and be blessed abundantly. Thank you for Erickson Covenant Church. We pray, Father, these days that you would bless them. They've had a week or so where they've been able to lend to the poor and feed the hungry. I pray you'd bless them for that. Father, guide and direct them in terms of uh, this church, our church, to know how we can better be a part of this community and be on that giving side and generosity side that even as a church, we are engaging these principles that we are giving and we are saving, we're spending wisely because that honors you. So, Father, now we pray as we leave this place, we would go with your blessing upon us. May we know your joy, your peace, your love, and uh, guide us in the days that are ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Some of you will see each other next week. We won't be here, but uh, you'll see each other next week. God bless you and carry on.